Today we are going to close <coughs> the Elephant in the Room series and um, one of the challenges about having an elephant in the room is the challenge of addressing issues. Um, I don't know if you've ever been in that predicament where you have been in a situation where you've lived out that phrase, the elephant in the room, whether it's at your dinner table, whether it's in a social environment, whether it is uh, a job-related circumstance where you are surrounded around people that know there's a problem, but nobody addresses it. And uh, many times people fall under the misconception, and I said this two weeks ago, people fall under the misconception that not addressing the issue is a spiritual thing. It's a spiritual thing. Because we feel that, you know, the Bible says, cast your cares upon me, says the Lord. And that is a truth reality. However, the Bible also says that we ought to speak truth among brethren so that we may be healed. But there are those that feel and say, well, you know, I am so spiritual that I don't address situations with people because I just take it to the Lord. And although that's true, it's not enough. And so we feel that omission of confrontation is equivalent to a spiritual reality. But there ain't nobody more spiritual than God. And when Adam and Eve sinned, God confronted them. But what makes an impact in confronting an elephant in a room has to be love. I'm just recapping. Speaking truth and love. Now, what is the danger in not confronting the elephant in the room? And that's what I want to talk about today. What is the ripple effect of ignoring a situation you are going through, whether it's private or public? The danger with that is that the things you don't address, it's nice and quiet here today, the things you don't address can ultimately become your addiction. So today I want to talk about addictions this morning. And I don't know if you noticed, but every addiction starts small. If you're uh, addicted to cigarettes, smoking three packs a day, when you first started smoking cigarettes, you wasn't smoking three packs a day. You started with a stogie. Remember stogie? <laughs> you started with a stogie, trying to act like he was fly. If you are an alcoholic, 
You didn't become an alcoholic the first time you drank. It started with a sip. If you're from the hood, you bought that 40 ounce and you dropped some for the dead. You know. Every addiction started out small. Every addiction. And I say that because it is the little things that you do on a daily basis that will ultimately have a huge impact. It's like the drop of water hitting on a stone or on a rock. And after a period of time, five, ten years, that insignificant drop of water hitting the exact spot of rock will ultimately create a hole in a rock. Little things continuously have a huge impact. Started out with a stogie. Now you're smoking three. Now you're smoking five. Now you're smoking ten. Now you have to take more breaks than anybody in your job to smoke the thing that started out as an insignificant habit. Same thing with alcohol. Same thing with sexual addictions. You did not become a sexual addict overnight. It started with one incident. Okay, Pastor, that's, I don't do none of that. I'm so holy, I don't do none. Okay, well, some of y'all are addicted to Facebook. Instagram. Good God. Listen, listen. If you all will spend as much time as you do on Facebook in your, on your knees, you would be walking on water. I'm telling you. You can't live without Facebook. Before you go to sleep, you got to post. Going at night. Going night, night. Good night. If in the middle of your sleep, you got to go to the bathroom, you got to post. <laughs> Can you sleep? Laugh out loud. <laughs> and you wake up in the morning, you post again. Some of you guys are addicted to pornography. Did you know that? Did you know this? That every 60 seconds... $89,000 is being spent in pornography. And it started out with a little image. It started out with a picture, an image. You went on the computer, you saw that, bam, that little image has you now addicted to pornography. I'll give you another one. When you bought your phone, you thought you was buying a device to communicate with other people. Only to realize that today you cannot live without your phone. Every five minutes, it didn't buzz, it didn't ring, nobody called you, but you're looking at it. 
and you bought it to make phone calls, but now that device controls you. I went, I went to Cheesecake Factory last week, my wife and I. I went, you know, I have a habit that before I go to any restaurant to eat, I got to go wash my hands. So I went to the bathroom and I washed my hands. So I'm washing my hands. And when I'm washing my hands, there's, I see a guy at a urinal doing what men do at the urinal. But in one hand, he's scrolling on his phone on Instagram. How do you do that? It only takes seven, seven to ten seconds to get rid of that stuff, and you can't put the phone down. You don't plan to be obsessed by these things. But the problem with these things is that the continuous habit of the daily practicum makes you an addict of the thing and this, and these are the, and, 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 and a good addict will always tell you, no, I'm not addicted. No, I can handle it. But that addiction starts when you don't confront the issue. That's why in order to be, if you do an Alcoholic Anonymous course, the first thing you got to do is confront your reality. And you got to say, yeah, I'm an alcoholic. If you don't confront your reality, you will always be bound. Now. How do we break the cycle of the elephant? Which, if you don't break the cycle of the elephant, that can turn into an addiction. So how do you break the cycle of the elephant? Paul addresses this situation in the book of Romans. The first three chapters of the book of Romans, Paul focuses on giving us theology, the undergird of what he wants to say. But then chapter 4 onward, chapter 4, chapter 8, Chapter 4 through 8, Paul now does not give us theology. You're going to hear about the doctrine of condemnation. You're going to hear about the doctrine of justification. You're going to hear about the doctrine of propitiation. That's all chapter 1 through chapter 3. He teaches and he teaches and he teaches and he teaches. But then it comes to a point that Paul stops teaching. Now he's going to deal with the practical of theology. Let me tell you, some of us, we know the Bible left to right. So our problem in being delivered is not what we know, it's what we apply. The church, I know that's wrong, pastor. I know that's the same. It's not what you know. It's how do you apply what you know? And so he deals with the practical part of the gospel. And in Romans chapter 6, listen to what he says. He says, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies, for sin shall no longer be your, here, here he's not talking about because the doctrine of justification and theology. No, no, he said, listen, I did that chapter one to three. Now you got to do something. And here's what he says. You got to not let sin reign. See, God ain't going to do that for you. You and I got to do that for ourselves. He says, do not let sin reign. The word reign in the Greek is the word kudio, which literally means don't let that thing reign over you. In other words, don't let that thing in Greek be Lord over you. That's why when you got saved, you don't get, listen, listen. 
Many of us, we want Jesus to save us. How many believe that Jesus is the Savior? But Jesus doesn't just want to be your Savior. It's he wants to be Lord and Savior. But many of us, we just want God, save me from this one. Lord, save me from that. Lord, deliver me from that. And we only see God as a Savior. But God says, I don't just want to be your Savior. I want to be your Lord. And by the way, Jesus said, a man cannot serve two masters. Either you serve the Lord or you serve mammon. Paul is telling us today, don't let sin be Lord over your life. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 19 says, While they promised them liberty, they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by whom a person is overcome, by him also he is brought into bondage. In other words, you are a slave of whatever masters your heart. And it could be pornography. It could be lies. It could be adultery. It could be deceit. It could be social media. It could be whatever you can't live without, you're addicted to. So here's how you know you have an addiction over your life. You want to know? I'll tell you. Have you ever heard your family and friends tell you you have a problem? Nah, I ain't got no problem. Nah, I'm good. I got it. That's a clue that there may be a possibility that you're bound to something. Do you have family and friends that constantly complain about things you keep doing? Let me tell you, and I got to confess, I have, I have an addiction. I got an addiction. My wife keeps telling me all the time. I got an addiction. You want to know my addiction? Oh, good, I don't want to know. Okay, good. My addiction is texting and driving. Because some of y'all can't get, y'all always bother me. Stop texting me. I'm driving 50 miles per hour. I go, Pastor, can we talk? I'm like, dude. I'm always texting and driving. My wife, honey, stop, honey, stop, honey, stop, honey, stop. So I think I got it going on because now I'm sitting and now I'm driving with my, with my knee. Have you ever done that drive with the steering with your knee? And you're like, I got an addiction. I need deliverance. Uh, but please don't be that emphatic, my sweetheart. I, I just say you're my syrup on my pancake and you're going to throw me under the bus. I'll preach from down here. That's my addiction. I got a problem. I got a problem. I need counseling. And I'm working on it. You know, I'm working on it. But it would be foolish of me to say, I don't have a problem. And wait till I crash and put my wife at risk. Talk about, oh, yeah, I got a problem. So when people around you keep telling you, stop doing that, that's not good. Hey, that's a good sign. Do you continue doing that thing, whatever it is? Even when you know it's hurting people around you. I'm talking about this is how you know you have an addiction. When you're doing those things that you know is hurting people, yet you still do it anyway. Do you, do you, do you schedule your life around that thing? 
Let me ask you a question. Whatever you're addicted to, that thing, can you live a week without doing it? What would happen if you would say, for the next seven days, I am not going to do that? What would happen? Whatever it is, whatever it may be. Is that thing that you can't live without leading you to isolation? Okay. But many of us have a problem that we say, as long as I do it in private, nobody knows I'm good. No farm, no, no, no harm, no foul. That's a no farm. Just because nobody knows you're doing it does not mean you have a problem. Does not mean you don't have a problem, rather. We need to stop falling into the entrapment of deceiving ourselves and say, well, if nobody knows I'm going through this, well, then I must be okay. But let me tell you why people isolate and hide and disguise their problems. You want to know why? Here's why. Because we're very good at pointing out the faults of people. We're experts at that. We're experts at it. So now, I got a problem. I know I got a problem, but I don't want nobody to know because the moment I tell everybody my weakness, aha! And so what happens? We feel that the best way to deal with our situation and our addiction is to conceal it, it's to hide it, it's to disguise it. But when I look at the Bible, that's not what God did. When God saw Adam and Eve sin, he said, I got to confront them because if I don't confront them, they're going to be addicted to lying and deceiving and disobeying. And he did it with love. He confronted them with love. How do I know he confronted them with love? Well, Pastor, he kicked them out of the garden. Where's the love in that? I'll show you the love. Because even after he kicked them out of the garden, he gave them a promise. And he said, the serpent hit, bit your heel. That's okay. But you're going to step on his head. And out of your seed is going to come a son, a son, and he's going to bruise the serpent. In other words, God, when he confronts your situation, he's not going to applaud your problem. He's going to confront your reality. But in the middle of your confronting, when you are a humble and a contrite heart, the Bible says that God will not in no wise despise you. And when you confess your sins and when you open your mouth, I'm here to tell you that behind your confession, God is going to prepare a way of blessings because God searches the heart. Listen to me. We need to stop talking about people and their addiction. And we need to start talking to people. Some of us are good talking about people. We suck at talking to people. Child, let me tell you. Girl. Let me tell you. See that go over there? Yeah, the one with the red shirt over there, over there. Yeah, with the ugly hair, that one over there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Girl, I saw her yesterday, and she was at celebration with a little hoochie guy. And then she shows up. Hi, mama, how you doing? We need to stop talking about people and start talking to people. We need to stop scandalizing people's names and criticizing people for their weakness because at the end of the day, her weakness might be exposed in public, but your mouth is worse than her sin. Listen to me. We have to stop talking about people. And we need to start talking to people. Hey, I noticed you got a weakness. How can I help you? 
Hey, I noticed you keep stumbling in this area. How can I pray for you? Hey, I noticed you have a challenge in this area in your life. Here, here, I'm here to serve you rather than tell people about you. This is what God is calling us to do. This is why the church has got to be a family of faith. This is why we got to do this together so that when I identify your faults and when I see your, your mistakes and I see your shortcomings, my job is not to post your weakness. My job is to tell you, I've noticed this, but I'm here to help you. I'm here to pray for you so that together we can overcome. Because if you don't address the elephant in the room, it'll become an addiction. If it becomes an addiction, then you're bound. And if you're bound, you cannot be free. So how do I get rid of the elephant in the room? Let me give you, let me, let me give you some tips. And, I, and I'm going to say this. Somebody say preach. Okay, that's all I need one. We have to be careful that we don't abuse God's grace. Because we're living in a world and in an era where we preach a lot about the grace of God. And the grace of God does not give us license to continue to sin. What did Paul say? Should, that, should I abound in sin? Listen to me. We have to be careful that we don't tread upon God's grace and treat it like a rug. Because God's grace does not mean that I could do whatever I want. Because at the end of the day, his blood is sufficient. So we have a lot of people in the church. I'm not, I'm not talking about new birth. A lot of people in the church. That they're taking, they're abusing the grace of Jesus Christ. So you live in sin all week. And then talk about Sunday. How great is your love. There is no man. No, let me tell you about the measure of the love of God. You got to be careful. That you don't tread upon this thing called salvation. And treat it like a, a curita, a band-aid. God's grace does not mean that you can sin whenever you want. God's grace does not mean that you can mess around whenever you want. No, 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 no. You got to make it your business to say, Lord, I got an addiction. I got a problem. I got a situation. But I know that I know that I know that your blood is sufficient to forgive me. But I cannot live the rest of my life stumbling in the falls that I have. Let me tell you. Let me tell you. Let me tell you. Before I got married... Believe it or not, I was a player. <laughs> I was. I had a girl in Brooklyn. I had a girl in Jersey. I had one in PA. And two and a half in the Bronx. <laughs> one was a midget. I don't discriminate, church. I don't. <laughs> now, imagine me being a pastor and still having that weakness. Because at the end of the day, God's grace is sufficient. I would have none of you guys following me as a pastor if I was in that weakness. And yes, God's grace forgives me from that. But there comes a point in my walk that I have to value the grace. 
and say, because this was done and I didn't deserve it, I'm going to live the rest of my life not doing the thing whereby grace has been provided for. Let me give you two. How to get rid of the elephant in the room. Tool number one. You got to get rid of the excuses. You got to lose the excuses. Now, Pastor, but what happened was the reason why I'm, a, I'm an alcoholic or the reason why I like porn and because when I was a little kid, my uncle touched me, he raped me, and then, you know, no, no, you got to get rid of that excuse because what do, what do you do with the Bible when it says, if any man is in Christ Jesus, he is a new creation. We got to get rid of the excuse. We have to live an excuse free life because we can live this thing called Christianity with excuses and feel good knowing we're wrong can I get an amen Jesus gives a parable of a party of a feast he was having he was inviting everybody to come to this party everybody he wanted to celebrate with everybody in a party and look at what happens People started giving excuses to Jesus in this parable. Look what it says. Luke chapter 8, 14, verses 18 through 19. It says, but they, can you put the scripture up there? Okay. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field. That's a good thing. That's not, there's nothing wrong with buying a field. That's like buying a car, buying a house. I have just bought a field. And I must go see it. Please excuse me. The master is inviting them to a party, to a celebration. And the first guy says, but time out, time out, time out, time out, time out. I just bought a field and I got to go check it out. Please excuse me. Verse 19. And the other said, I just bought five yoke of oxen. And I'm going to test them. I ask you to have me excuse. If you want to get rid of that thing in your house, if you want to get rid of that elephant in your room, if you want to get rid of those addictions, the first thing you got to get rid of is the excuse. Because you can live in excuses and stay bound for the rest of your life. But you got to make it your business. There's no more excuses. The excuses die today. Got to cut the excuses. Second thing you got to do, you have to cut all ties. Let me explain. You got to cut some relationships. You got to get rid of some things. I had a guy one time say, Pastor, I need you to pray for me because I'm bound to pornography. And in my mind, I'm, I'm like, dude, you don't need prayer. You need to stop doing some things. I said, okay, you want to be delivered from pornography? Yes, Pastor, I want to be delivered from pornography. Yes, yes, I don't want no more. I don't want no more. You got it's okay. You want to be delivered? Okay, okay. I got one for you. Give everybody in your house your computer password. And take your computer from your room and put it in the living room so that every time you turn on the computer, everybody knows what you're watching. Oh, 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 oh. Come out, Pastor. You want to be delivered. 
Because if you don't want to be delivered, just keep it in your room, close the door, turn on the lights, and put a fog machine, and you be. But if you really want to be delivered, you got to expose. You got to cut that thing by the roots. If you are in a relationship that is not your spouse and you want to be free from it, don't ask me to pray for it. Disconnect the phone. Don't pick up her number. Don't pick up his number. Don't go out to eat at night. Cut it off. Cut it loose and you'll be delivered. You got to cut that thing loose. Whatever it is. Well, Pastor, I don't fornicate. I don't do this. Let me give you another one. Some of y'all are addicted to food. And food addiction is equivalent to gluttony. Pastor, I, I don't know how to, I don't know what is it, Lord. I don't know, Pastor, what's going on, Pastor. I don't know. And while you're talking to me, you're still ramming in that, that pork in your mouth. Eat pinchos in the morning, pastelillos at lunchtime, alcapurria right before you go to sleep. I, I can't translate that in English. Uh, French fries and, and Kentucky fried chicken uh, with that little gravy sauce, right? Little gravy. Oh, that God is going to break your heart, brother. I'm going to clog up your arteries. Keep it up. And then you're like, Talk about, Pastor, can you pray for me? The doctor said I got cholesterol high. No, I pray for you. Stop eating. You got to cut that thing loose. You got to cut tides. If it's internet, cut it loose. If it's an illicit relationship, I'm talking about platonic illicit relationships, you got to get it out. If it's an adulterous or fornicarious relationship, you got to get it out. Here's why Paul tells us 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33. He says, do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. But pastor, but we go way back. You know, I was born. We was born in the same hospital. We went to the same school. We graduated the same time. Yeah, but if she's dragging you down, and if he's dragging you down, it's defaming your purpose and reason for existing. The Lord is telling you today, if you want to live a life of integrity, there are some relationships you've got to get rid of. How to get rid of? Listen, the higher you climb a mountain, the less people are going to go up with you. Cut ties with the source that corrupts your life. So if you want to get the elephant out of your room, church, remove the excuses and get that thing out. Stop trying to get rid of it and get rid of it. I don't even know if that makes sense. Because we live, yeah, I'm trying, I'm trying. Now stop trying and do it. Do it, do it, do it. Number one, you got to get loose. You got to lose the excuses. Number two, you got to cut the ties. Number three, now that you cut the tide, number three is you got to fill that void. This is why we keep going back to the addiction. This is why we keep going back to calling her at midnight. This is why we keep going back. 
to pornography. This is why we keep going back to alcohol. This is why we keep going back to drug addiction. This is why we keep going back to lying. And this is why. Because once we, once we cut it, we don't fill that void. But you got to cut that thing and you got to fill the void with what, pastor? Here's with what? With the presence of Jesus Christ. You got to fill that gap with something holy. You know why? Because lying is unholy. Cheating is unholy. Stealing is unholy. Robbing is unholy. Adultery is unholy. So once the holy thing comes in you, nothing unholy has access in your heart because God, the Holy One of Israel, is living in you. You got to be able to cut that thing. You got to be able to eliminate that thing. So the next time you want to call her up, <laughs> the next time you want to call them up, because, you know, players are good lovers. Hey, boo, I've been thinking about you all day. I was standing in the light, light was red. And when I saw red, I saw how your heart all that mad and, 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 and to his wife to his wife he don't even tell her he loves her hey boo boo listen to me you have to start filling in that void with godly things this is why hope groups are important this is why you need to be part of a hope group. Because you can't do this by yourself. This is why we promote you to be part of a hope group. Because in a hope group, somebody like, hey, how's your drug addiction doing? Hey, how's your porn life living? What's up with that? Hey, let me see your phone. Let me check your history so I can see how many times you went on the website. Let me check. Let me, let me check your phone, your phone directory. I want to print me out a phone directory. I want to know how many people, times you called her. Let me check your bank account. I want to see how many times you bought that, that Budweiser. and that. I, let me check. If you want to be delivered, that's what you got to go through. Oh, God, deliver me. No, this is what you got to go through. This is, this is it. This is it. Otherwise, you're going to be sitting in your house, and everybody's going to be acting like nothing's going on, and there's an elephant in the room called addiction binding your home. What happens when you fill in that void? Here's what happens. No, notice the process of evolution. Your elephant in the cloud, elephant in the living room, if you don't confront it, becomes an addiction. But if you confront it, that addiction ceases to be an addiction and it becomes your weakness. Now that's good. Because look what the Bible says. Listen to me. 2 Corinthians 12, 9. Look what it says. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. See, see, God is trying to transform your addiction 
into weakness because it is when you manifest to the world and to Christ that there's a weak area in your life. Look what says 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10. It says, therefore I will boast. Y'all know what boast means, right? Yo, 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 that's my homegirl, yo, yo, that's your, I know her, yo, we go way back. He says, I'm going to boast all the more gladly about my weakness. He says, I'm going to brag about, now I'm not going to brag about my addiction. I'm going to brag about my weakness because in my weakness, Christ's power is going to rest on me. That is why for Christ's sake I say, put the verse. That's not the verse. I delight in weakness, for when I am weak, then I am strong. See, being a Christian does not mean you're going to be perfect. Being a Christian is admitting, is admitting you're weak. And when God sees your weakness, he says, yes, I can work with and you can get to the point that Paul says, I boast. Everywhere I go, I tell everybody, hey, I'm weak. Everywhere I go, I'm telling everybody, hey, I'm a mess. Everywhere I go, I'm telling everybody, hey, I'm not as good as you think I am. Everywhere I go, I tell everybody, hey, yeah, I still know I still text and drive. Yes, I still get an attitude every so often. But I'm glad that I can be able to talk about my weakness. Because when I look at my weakness and I take it to the Lord and I connect with a church that is out to bless me, in my weakness, I become strong. Because in spite of my weaknesses, God still uses you to change the world. I'm closing. In your weakness, God becomes strong. And know this, that you're not strong enough to handle the elephant on your own. Uh -uh. The only way to get the elephant out of your living room, your home, your life, is to get weak and confess your weakness to say God I got a problem but if you're like no I ain't got no problem I'm not addicted the, 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 the pathway to deliverance is confessing that you are weak this is when Christ becomes strong in you your confession of weakness is the source of the strength of God in your life so just like in the parable there's a feast today Jesus is inviting everybody all of us to this feast I'm invited you're invited we are all invited the question is are you going to continue putting excuses to God to justify your addiction but today you need to start by getting out the elephant in your room. You need to own up to it. You need to kill the excuses. You need to fill in that void. And you need to cut all ties. Then the, the end result of killing excuses, cutting ties, and filling the void, you know what that makes you? All that equals to weak. God says, now I'm going to be perfect.